Hello and welcome to the Explore Your Core podcast. I'm the host Elise and on this podcast we delve inwards and explore how some incredible people are following their own passion and purpose and how you can find yours too. I'm joined by Jessie from the Inside Lane um, to talk all things sports psychology and mindset. Thank you so much for joining today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. More than welcome. We've previously had a bit of a conversation around experimental mindset and I was wondering if I could hear what that means to you. Yeah. Experimental mindset, I think, is it's a view on things that just positions things as experiments, as things that it's not uh, as if these projects that we're doing or these moments that we're approaching in our life are are really defining. It pulls them back into like, this is just something that I'm going to put out in the world. This is something that I'm going to dip my toe into. I'm going to experiment with and I'm, I'm going to see what happens. So I think the experimental mindset is a, a way of living or a way of approaching things where we really challenge the expectations on things, what expectations we're bringing in, maybe what expectations or pressures we're experiencing from others intentionally or unintentionally. And yeah, it's in my experience, it's, it's been one of the most liberating things to actually step into and, and live into a little bit more. And I've spoken to a few people about it. It's very, it's sort of the origin story of inside laying really. I, I call myself a recovering perfectionist. I feel like I naturally have tendencies towards perfectionism uh, and over the last sort of 12 to 24 months, really exploring how I can grapple with those tendencies when they arise, why they arise and what I want to do with them. So Inside Lane was this project, this idea that had probably existed for three or four years in mind. And I was waiting to get it perfect before I did anything. I wanted the the perfect the perfect branding, the perfect plan, the perfect services, the perfect offers, the perfect everything, the perfect look and feel. And of course, that's why it took three or four years to actually do anything with because that doesn't exist. And then there was a moment in time, and I don't know exactly when that moment in time was, but I switched into that view of it being an experiment. And it was instantaneous how liberated I felt and how free to move I was in actually launching it and just playing with things in progress progressively mapping out what those services or offers might be uh progressively building what I need to be able to make this project something that can potentially be what I want it to be and yeah so I think that's then fed into how I approach my entire life as an experiment. I'll explore this and and see where that takes me and then adjust, calibrate and go again. So yeah, from my experience and in my perspective, it's viewing things as experiments rather than as defining moments is one of the most liberating things we can do. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. I think that's really cool that you say it's a way of living. And I think that's really true. It's not just, you know, this part of my, this aspect of my life is an experiment. It's like a way of being in experimenting is a way of fostering curiosity. It's a way of questioning all these things that lead to innovation, at least to new ideas. And I think it's really key as well, how it ties in with perfectionism, that when you 
just get it started and see it as an experiment. You have that feedback. So say you, with your business, putting it out there, okay, I don't like that part, but that's only been able to be realized once I've seen it. Or same with the podcast. I could have done the same thing and waited till I knew exactly what it was that I wanted to ask and have on. Started it and I was like, cool, these are the things I really want to keep exploring. These I'm not so interested in. And from there it was able to grow. So I think it's really important just starting builds a momentum that if you were trying to be perfect, you'd never be able to reach because it wouldn't start. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think it illuminates consistency and how important consistency is. You do these things, viewing it as an experiment allows you to do it consistently because you're less likely to become deflated, dejected, even burnt out. I think experimental mindset is, is a bit of protective mechanism against burning out. And so we're allowed to actually, or we allow ourselves to do the thing, whatever the thing is, more consistently. And of course, that's going to breed exactly what it is that we're trying to breed. Consistency is always the thing. I think when we're not thinking through an experimental mindset lens, we're thinking of progress or success as this really steep curve. And there's very few instances, if you chat to anyone, there's very few instances where that's actually been the case. It's sort of a bit of a fallacy or I don't even know where it's sort of built into our minds, but we have this perceptional perspective that we launch a business, we do the thing, it's going to be really steep, really fast. We launch it and three days later, it's really successful. But it's not, it's the feedback loop. Like you said, it's it's putting something out there, seeing how it's received or seeing what's created as a result of that. And then realizing, okay, cool. Well, now what do I want to do with that? What can I adjust? What do I need to calibrate? And I think it comes down into like the way of living. You can apply this into really funny ways as well. Like experimental mindset doesn't apply to to business and life and these huge objectives. It might be a coffee order. So your stock standard is a strong arm and latte and you've done that for three years. You actually don't know. You could love long blacks, but you don't know. Like long blacks could be so much better than the strong arm and latte, but you just got to experiment. They could be terrible as well, but you just have to experiment. And I think that's another part of this where it's like experimentation, curiosity, learning, whatever we want to call it is a muscle. Maybe it's starting off experimenting with the coffee order or the cafe or the side of the bed that you sleep on. And then it progressively builds. We find that discomfort or we find the comfort in doing things that's a little bit new, doing something that's a bit novel, and so we can progressively chew off more. Yeah, and I think that's kind of been my, like, life philosophy is, like, I know what I know, so all I want to be is in the unknown. And that's actually really helped me with my travel and decisions like that. I'm like, okay, I can either stay at home, this is actually really good, like, I'm enjoying soccer, I'm enjoying my friends, like, this is actually really lovely, or I could go up the coast or I could I could travel. And it's always been like that, oh, do I go, do I not? What happens if it's worse than my situation as is? And it's always been, I know what I know, so I can always come back to this, but I don't know what it's like up there. So at least it gets the momentum for me to move or go or just like set off. And then once I'm there, like I'm always on a roll, I never want to come back. But it's just really cool to keep leaning into the fact that I know what I know. So everything else I get to just be like, able to see it from a different view and the same thing, like I know what my coffee order is. I know what that tastes like. So I may as well try something else. And if not, I can always go back to it. But I would never know what that, that other one is like. 
yeah, you can always go back to the strong arm and latte. Just because you're, you're trying something new doesn't mean that you're saying no to that. It's always going to be there. I think that's a really beautiful sense of comfort in approaching this idea of, of uncertainty or unknown or experimenting is that thing that you're stepping away from is almost certainly going to be there when you return. It might look a little bit different. It might feel a little bit different, potentially, probably because you're different stepping back into that environment, but it is always going to be there. So why not? Why not broaden the horizons, stretch the edges a little bit and see, yeah, see what's out in the world, see what's what's within you that you want to experience as well. Yeah, absolutely. And there is always risk. And I think that's why it makes it scary. Like if you are going to the know, it makes sense. It's not like, oh, it's irrational. Don't be silly. There's always risks. And I've always seen it say like my baseline is, you know, home or my normal life. And when I go away from it, there's either two options. It's like better than or it's worse than. So it's kind of like, oh, I, you know, I don't have, I don't know anyone here. So I'd rather be home. Or it can be, I can't believe I'm around these people. They're just inspiring and this is unreal. So it's always that potential risk of the two. But it's just really crazy that when you do find, when you're in the unknown, the possibilities of meeting people you never thought you would have met or the opportunities that you never thought would have had can happen. And it's only when you're in that unknown zone that those things seem to happen. Yeah, yeah. I think this ties in really nicely to the point I briefly mentioned earlier around expectations and the role that they play. Because if we use the example of, say, leaving the hometown, moving house, whatever it might be, changing jobs as the uncertainty or as the unknown, quite often I think we approach that change expecting newness to bring A, B, C, and D or solve A, B, C, and D. It's like the grass is greener idea. And so then we go into the change and it's amazing and it's great and it holds so much intrigue and interesting and newness but we don't see that or we don't appreciate that because it actually looks different to what we thought it would. And we're just wound up in, this is different to what I thought. This is not what I was expecting. This sucks. It's like, actually it it doesn't. It's just not meeting the expectation that you had in place. And the expectation was probably unfair. It was probably unjust. And that can be like, I've experienced that personally really deeply. And we, when we spoke last week, I mentioned we traveled in a van for 12 months as a family. And in the three months leading up to that, I'd quit my job and was just finalizing the van build. And I was clutching, like absolutely crawling for that finish line of leaving on that trip, because I thought that was just going to be the most blissful, amazing, serene, adventurous experience that we as a family could ever have. Anyone that's ever traveled in a van for a long period of time knows that is not the reality of living in a van, but I was clutching for it. So this three-month period, I was hanging and waiting and found myself in a little bit of sort of a, a period of mental turbulence. Like I was struggling a little bit because I just sort of put something on that horizon three months away. And then when it really became challenging was when I got into that reality and it wasn't the bliss and the serene and the the perfect. It was really challenging. It had its own challenges. And some of those challenges were big. Some were really small. 
But I look back probably in the first two to three months of that trip and I can really vividly see moments where now with hindsight, I'm like, what more could I possibly wanted in that moment? I was in a beautiful part of the world with my family, no work to worry about, no real concerns to worry about. But when I was actually in that moment, I was just so wound up about it not being as exciting or as adventurous or as thrilling as I wanted it to be. Had I had the awareness to challenge that expectation, it just it would have been that bliss and the serene that I actually wanted because I would have I would have been able to lean into a degree of acceptance. Yeah, it's interesting. I think as well, like you just got to realize dreams can come true and you can be living those dreams, but you also have the mundane everyday moments in between them. And I think that's what you yeah. don't see on social media. Like even with the ice climbing I did, I got to live that moment, you know, like the crampons on ice axes in, like that was one moment. But also within that was, you know, the days prior, we shopping for food, getting our tents ready, walking out, getting the packs, braving the cold, all these just the moments in between. Same with travel. It's like you still got to be sitting there stuck on flights and waiting the terminal. So it's like you get those moments that you dream, but they're a bit more spread out. Because, yeah, you can dream and it's this almost unreal kind of thing you have in your head and you still can be living it. It's just a bit more everyday momentum. Yeah, it's a really beautiful idea or sort of highlighting the mundane. So you see that the Instagram image or the reel or whatever it might be, and it's it's that if it's a reel, it's like the 10-second video of you ice climbing. It's like, oh, wow, that's amazing. And you didn't see the full depth of everything that's behind that. And, it, yeah, there's always going to be mundane. Like the dishes always have to be done. And I think that is one part of social media that is potentially disruptive is expecting to consistently live at a particular level because that's what we're consuming and that's what we're exposed to so often. And it isn't the reality. The reality is the mundane and the the spreadsheets to be able to plan that huge adventure that ultimately creates that 10-second reel. Yeah, yeah. I think you've got to definitely give it the merit behind it. And it's not to say that those smiles aren't real. It's just capturing one second of that moment that was of a large kind of piece in it. I think it then comes down to how can you enjoy the mundane? Like, as you said, dishes always need to get done, always need to go to the shop. So I think it's about fostering a mindset that you can find kind of a bit more joy and happiness in the everyday because they're always going to happen. Yeah. I know I briefly mentioned Angel Hollinson to you. Big mountain skier, absolute just badass in every sense of the word. I got this idea from her reading one of her blogs. It's called The Zeros and Tens. And The Zeros and Tens is like we're we're always going to have those peak experiences in our lives. We're going to have the tens and we'll have really, really challenging moments in our life. We'll have the zeros and the ones. And we'll have the threes and we'll have the sevens and we'll have the sixes and we'll have the fives and we'll go from a five to a nine and back down to a three. And happiness or peace within this lifetime is recognizing that or changing the perspective to instead of consistently striving to live in the nines and tens because that's not practical, realizing that we are going to be surfing that curve of the zeros and tens. And so 
we have to practice a degree of acceptance within that, choose to see, not necessarily see the beauty of the zeros, because that could potentially be like you know, toxic positivity, try and see the positive in everything, but just being able to acknowledge that experiencing challenging emotions, experiencing challenging situations is all part of this human experience. And it it contributes to the rich tapestry of our life. Like when we're, we're 80 or 90 or whatever it might be, we will look back at the full spectrum of zeros and tens, not just the nines and the tens. Yeah, 100%. And even within that, I think it's something still really beautiful to be sitting between like the three and seven and that's totally okay. It doesn't need to be. Yeah. I was completely depressed and sad and then this changed my life and then like it's almost a social media grab or some kind of attention where it's like this big 180 or this big change and I think there's still something really beautiful in being like, you know, this didn't feel right, I wasn't too happy and now I'm doing something that's nice. Like you, you are going to have those little waves that aren't going to change your life. It isn't from going rock bottom to that but it's still just as much that you can learn from and just as like good to be in. Yeah. And it's, it can be a different form of happiness. Like a, a nine or a 10 might be ecstatic happiness, like absolutely bursting out of your skin happiness. A five might be me walking around the block here with my daughter and looking for how many flowers we can see like that's i mean you could argue that's a 10 that's it's a really beautiful experience but it's not ecstatic happiness it's this real elected content moment and you could look at that and sort of be like it's just it's just a walk well there are so many moments similar to that where it just is you're just doing this and there's still something to be felt there there's still something to be experienced there we just have to be open to appreciating the threes and the fours and the fives and the sixes and seeing what's in that for us. Yeah. And I think also looking at to why you want your nines and tens, like, is it to prove something? Mm. Is it because you need to be enough? Is it because you want to be seen? Like knowing why you want that, I think is really important as well. Cause like I chase them as well. Like I love pushing limits and, and barriers and boundaries, but I think that's a very, internal motive and I'm very cautious that it never does turn external for that reason that it can be unsustainable and if you're doing it for the wrong reasons it's not something that you should be chasing so I think it's definitely a good reminder to look at why is it that you're pushing for what you're pushing for yeah that's the term that I use for that is mindful ambition mm -hmm. and it's form of ambition or a way of looking at ambition that is you know what it is that you're actually going after so there's sort of some clarity in the direction that you're seeking you know why you're going after it and you know that the outcome doesn't determine your worth mm. so it's a real detachment from i can it's a want not a need to be able to do that thing i want to experience that not i need to experience that and that's actually from a, a performance perspective and whether it's an athlete, whether it's a creative, that can be one of the most freeing and then impactful perspectives to be able to get into. If you've got an athlete that knows exactly what they want, they're really clear on why they want it and it's a healthy why and they know that they are complete and whole as a person regardless of whether they finish first, second, third or ninth, 
they are, I feel very confident that they're going to perform consistently over a long period of time. And if they're performing consistently over a long period of time, they're probably going to achieve above and beyond what they otherwise would have compared to the person that maybe isn't as clear on that. And like you said, it's it's a path to burnout. It's it's not sustainable. You're going to have that really strong peak and a really strong cliff. Yeah, and I think that's like my favourite thing to see and feel is that like most pure form of flow state of bliss of or whatever it is, like when you're in the moment in flow in that like top kind of level, it's just like what I would love to chase for the rest of life. Like it's just the most amazing feeling. But I think it's interesting coming back to like competitiveness, like where do you draw the line between it being healthy and not and say if you are happy with being ninth, that means you wouldn't be a good candidate to be, you know, an Olympic top level person because you need to strive for that for that first so it's like that interesting I think push and pull I guess my mental kind of thinking is that if you're if it's within you and what you're after to come first and that's kind of what you need that competitiveness but if you're enjoying it for what it is I think it's really important to nurture the fact that you don't necessarily have the outcome related to your result yeah I find that a really interesting conversation around the competitiveness and I've spoken about this with a few people recently because I think we, you look at athletes that are world-class at what they do and the connotation or like the way that we would perceive them is that they've sacrificed everything. They're potentially unhealthy in their determination or their commitment to that. And there's definitely examples of that. There's definitely athletes floating around that you can pinpoint and be like, yeah, that's, that's to the extremes. And they've produced extreme results. So if that's what they're after, they achieved it. Amazing. But then there's so many examples in sport of people that are at the absolute peak of their craft, have an accolade list longer than anything you or I would ever see. And they've done it in a way that is relaxed, is true to them and really flies in the face of that like winning at all costs mentality and so you start to see these examples of people that are going about it in a really healthy way and they're still they're still training the house down they're still doing absolutely everything they can but they're making time for joy they're making time for play they're making time for friends for family for love whatever it might be and I think that's something that as a junior athlete or as a younger athlete or as someone that's just trying to do something, you might look at someone that's at the top of their game and see that it is sort of like win at all costs, like trade everything to be able to get that degree of success. And there are examples where that's not true. There are examples where people are at the absolute top of their field by being the most authentic and true version of themselves. Yeah, 100%. And I think it comes down to like, to look at it in that overall sense like if you're able to follow your passions and be wholeheartedly in love with what you do and all other aspects of your life that's just like the happiest way you could live life <laughs> and it has I think like a ripple effect as well like if you're training really well but also doing all those other things and other aspects and caring for your friends and family that then has that feedback loop again of having more support and more people around you and it just like can really keep building up it like goes both ways yeah, I think that's, you have to nurture that, like nurture that 
core of friends, family, joy, whatever else it might be, and then work from that place rather than, yeah, that stereotypical achieve the thing and then have time for A, B, C, and D. If we're nurturing those things, nurturing friends, family, and the things that we really enjoy and are working from that place, everything we do is going to be great. Everything we're going to we're doing is going to be really, really good if that's nurtured. Yeah, 100%. And what are your thoughts on finding the balance between just following your passions and achieving the goals that you set out? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, there's there's probably a couple of different slices on this, I think. Goals are an interesting conversation within themselves. I think they have a role. And I think sometimes we potentially get the goal-setting procedure or the goal-setting conversation a little skewed. My perspective would be a couple of things. Follow your passion 100%. Like we have to do that. I think we have a responsibility as people that have the capacity to follow our passions to do that. And that's that's a, a bit of a mindset shift within of itself of, we often view following our passions as an opportunity and where we are in the Western world with the resources that we have available to us, we get a responsibility to do that. We have to do that. We have to follow our curiosities and explore what that is and it might change and then we have to follow that. So that's the first thing I would say is like we absolutely have to follow our passions And the second part to that is that passions don't always have to become work. I think that's a conversation that comes up quite a bit as well of like, you can work to fuel your passion or you might find passion within your work and either is okay. I think of uh, the people that might work through summer to then generate the money for the ski season in winter. They're fueling their passions, following their passions in a different way to the person that's founded a non-for-profit and works for social impact full time and that's like that's their passion and and they're in their element where i think the goals start to come into play is goals should reflect our passions and if i can't or if they're not captured in there then the goals probably aren't yours they're probably goals that you've maybe felt pressured to right or that you just think is a goal that most people should have like buy a house run a marathon there's so many people that have set a goal to run a marathon and have zero interest in running a marathon it's just that goal that they thought they should have so i think that's part of it is your goal should reflect your passion and goals should instead of sort of being the end point they should almost be checkpoints along the way so they're not sort of that strive 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 get there fall off the cliff it's more like you hit one goal and it's more of just an indication that you're you're on the right path, you're moving in the right direction, you recalibrate, you reset, you go again. And then there's that non-attachment component to it of if you don't reach a goal, that's okay. What's more important is that we unpack what was it that made that goal not achieved. Is it that we changed direction? Because if we did, totally cool and if it's a really mindful and meaningful direction then great anything that we would have done to have achieved that goal is actually a wasted resource so the fact that we didn't achieve it doesn't mean that we're flaky it means that we actually picked a new direction and that's a really great thing 
or there might be some lessons in there around what we potentially need to change in our approach or our support network or anything like that. Goals are really important for direction. Like if you just set out, things aren't just necessarily going to fall your way. Like potentially, sure, but you wouldn't get to the same place had you not have goals. Like they're just perfect direction markers. But in saying that, goals almost in a way are like a false sense of safety where it's like if you just write goals, it feels like you're on top of things. It feels like you know what you're doing. It feels like you're making progress. You can just scribble anything and be like, oh, these are just, you know, goals. It's almost like a false sense of safety knowing things are moving in the right direction. So that's my thought. Yeah, there's that. I can't remember who it's from. Maybe like an Andrew Huberman or something like that. But they did a, a research study. And it was the the way that our brain responds to telling someone about a goal that we've got is very similar to the way our brain responds to actually achieving that goal. So when we go and share our goal with someone, it's sort of almost like a little bit of a an escape route. We sort of be like, oh, that, that felt nice. Oh, maybe I don't need to do the thing anymore. So I always go in, in two minds around sharing goals because there's something so beautiful about like hearing what other people want to get up to that sense of accountability that comes into it and then there's that part of like you still have to see it through like if that's something that you really want to go after you still have to see it all the way through don't get that little dopamine hit or that little feel-good hit and then tap out yeah so interesting because it's such a like a biological like chemical thing like if you post hey i'm going to run a marathon it's almost the same as hey i just ran a marathon like yeah, yeah. like oh like cool and then one's like you said it so it took some 10 seconds to do and the other is like no you're actually gonna train and run and like yeah push through and I think that's really interesting I think really amazing to share an idea because then you can network from other people or hear like oh I didn't know that's your thoughts on it and you're doing it too and like that can have an idea then actually come to fruition because you're meeting other people and it, it makes you more accountable and it can also go the other way of the whole well now I've said it kind of has lost its zest to actually be able to do it. Yeah, I wonder if this is me just throwing something at a wall. I also wonder if vocalizing it would be would act as somewhat of a filter to call ourselves out if it's a goal that's actually not ours as well. If mm. I write down if I'm doing a goal setting session and I write down, I want to run a marathon and I have zero interest in writing a marathon, but at that time I'm like, yeah, that's, that's a really good goal. And then I'm chatting to you afterwards and you're like, oh, Jesse, like what goals did you set? Like, I want to run a marathon. And as soon as I say it, I'm like, no, I don't. No, <laughs> no, no. So it's almost like a, a filtration system, being able to vocalize it, or maybe it even changes form through that vocalization process. I share it with you and then I'm like, oh, actually, no, I think it's more this. I think it might be I'm going to do this instead of that or I'm going to do it at this point in time instead of that point in time. Or you might say, yeah, if it's something more process-based, if I'm like I want to run every day for the next 100 days, you might be like, oh, actually, like, have you thought about maybe approach it in this way or maybe shape it slightly in this way as well? So there is something so beautiful about being able to share it and being able to have conversations. And it might even be that spark, or it almost always is that spark for the other person to walk away, think, what is it that I want to get up to? What is it that's on my radar? What is it that I want to get up to? Uh, Yeah. 
I think it's so good to flush it out, to flush it out with like-minded people or people having a similar conversation where it's almost like, it's almost like you don't even need to hear what advice is being said in return. It's almost like you can just talk it out and realize, oh, okay, like that actually isn't something I want to do. And this is, and it's almost like you solve it yourself by talking. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the beauty of conversation, isn't it? The amount of times me personally, I've started talking about something that maybe I've found challenging to solve, or I'm trying to wrap my head around and I haven't vocalized it to anyone yet. And then I'll sit down with a mate or my partner or whoever it might be. And within about 90 seconds of talking, like it's taken me seven days to get to a point of talking to someone within 90 seconds of talking, it's all solved, done. I just needed to actually get it out. And as soon as it's out, it's like the knot unties itself. Like, okay, cool. yeah. there it is. That's it what makes I needed. Flush it out. And I find um, conversation and movement a mm. whole nother level as well. It's just like there's almost there's no filter. It's almost like just more subconscious things seem to come through or there's no small talk need, like need to just keep it at the surface it's just getting straight into it when you're moving I think it just gets into another part of your brain that really helps know where things are coming from and if it's right yeah that's something that I have gained an appreciation for probably within the last six to 12 months is this idea of sense making practices and knowing where you go or what you do to make sense of things to make sense of what you're experiencing is it dancing running is it writing poetry drawing is it conversation with the friends but knowing what they are and visiting them often is so important for our creative potential our ability to think clearly our mental well-being our social well-being so i think that's that's a really critical part that we potentially understate is knowing where do I go to make sense of things or what allows me to make sense of things and then going there often? Yeah, I really love that. And I think that just speaks so much volume and it kind of ties everything together about it being making sense of life, making the most of life in the most healthy, happy and sustained way of doing it. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Uh, amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on and being able to delve pretty deep into mind and mindset and what it means to live a healthy and fulfilling life thank you for for having me i hope this is uh this is the first of many combos i hope so too well that wraps up this week's episode if you enjoyed listening to this podcast follow explore your core on spotify and instagram to be updated with more episodes and share to your socials to help more people be able to follow their passions also just a quick thanks to our sponsors take the lead an australian made sustainable sports apparel but if you want to help make an impact while you run, head over to Take the Lead and use Explore 10 for a 10% discount.